All right, well, good morning. All right, first things first, you guys, yeah, good morning. You, uh, you guys get the gold star because you guys did it. You made it to church, so good job, everybody. And we're like, yeah, this is typical Syracuse weather. This is what it's like every January. Hey, well, if I've not got a chance to connect with you before, my name's Rob, and I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Eastern Hills. If you're at home online, a big hello to you. I'm really excited about the next three weeks because you're going to hear the culmination of probably like two years of conversations amongst leadership and staff. Uh, so you get to hear uh, when we talk about our mission, fully engaged in Christ at church on mission, like what does that mean? Uh, next week we'll talk about like vision. What does it look like for our church 20 years from now, three to five years from now? And then the last week we're gonna talk about some values that really shape the culture of our church. But before I get started, I have a disclaimer. Maybe you've heard of this before. I'm discovering many people haven't heard about this before. There's this thing called the pastor's vault. Now, in the pastor's vault, it holds minutes from sermons. You see, the way that this works is that when a pastor or communicator uh, goes under the normal amount of like 30 minutes, like say they teach for 20, 25, those extra minutes get deposited into the vault for future pastors to communicate. And so for the past month, if you've engaged with us, you know that our messages have probably been about 20, 25 minutes. And so uh, full disclosure, I'm gonna glean from those minutes that uh, were left behind before me, and I'm going a solid 40 minutes this morning. So buckle up, it's gonna be great. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be fun. Uh, your, your, your kiddos are well taken care of. We've already let the volunteers know we're gonna be a little late this morning, but it's gonna be a great service. Now, if you are thinking about hey, is this going to be the church that we call home? The next few weeks will be helpful. If you've been around our church uh, for a long time, uh, it's going to be helpful for you. And I hope that at the end of this series, you're like just as excited as I am. But I also know it's this time of year, people come back to church uh, and they're thinking about new rhythms. They're thinking about, hey, you know, maybe I've been disconnected from church or there's some things in my life that I want differently. My prayers at the end of this series is that it would be clear just how awesome Jesus is and how different your life could be if you were fully engaged in him and, and how that would impact not just your life, but the lives of those around you. And so as we start today, this is a question that anybody can answer, regardless of where you're at uh, with Jesus. And it's an important question. 10 years from now, would you want to hang out with the person that you are becoming? Now, I know, I, I said this first service too, but I get it. For some people, you're like, hey, 10 years from now, I'm really hoping that I'm walking the golden roads of heaven. So just, just humor me uh, for a minute. The point here is that on any given day, did you know that we make 35,000 decisions? 35,000, simple ones, big ones, and those decisions are shaping us and molding us into the person that we're becoming. So your rhythms, your habits, how you show up in other people's lives, how other people show up in your life, your, your calendar, how you choose to spend your time is shaping you and the person that you're becoming 10 years from now. One pastor I respect says it this way, that the systems in your life are perfectly designed to get the results that you're currently getting. In other words, our approach to life is perfectly designed to get the results that you're currently getting. 
And so if you're in a position right now where you don't like the division of labor at, at home and you want things to be different, then you would change your approach or change your system. If you're single here today and you're like, I don't like the results that I'm getting, you might need to change your approach or system. If you don't like where your bank account's out and how your finances are being handled, you might need to change your approach. And the same thing can be said when it comes to your physical well-being, your mental well-being, but also when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. And so today, we're starting with the end in mind. This is an approach to life. Like, who do I want to become? And we're working our way backwards because here's what Jesus said years ago. This is his hope for all those that would turn to him. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Christmas is a time of year where we remember Emmanuel, God with us. And it's during Christmas where we answer the why question. Why would Jesus show up? Why would he leave all that he had to come and dwell amongst a broken creation? And one of the reasons explained here in John's gospel is that he would come so that every person that would turn to him would experience the fullest life possible. And so this means at the heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus is the realization that God in Christ would rather die than for you not to live life to the full. That Jesus looked upon humanity and our brokenness and our distress and saw the path that we were on and what life would look like apart from him. And he said, I would rather come and be beaten tortured, spat upon, disrespected, left to die on a cross, be buried and have to resurrect from the dead. I would want all of that to happen if it means that they get to experience life to the full. In, in the New Testament, it talks about that we can't even physically comprehend, like our minds aren't even capable of comprehending all that God wants for us. And that we, we can't even, it's not even in our capability to ask for all that God would have for us according to his power and his will. So I want you to know that all of our pastors here, all of our leaders here want this for every person at home and every person here, that we would all get to experience what Jesus meant when he said life to the full. That our lives would be flowing with compassion. That our lives would be marked with humility that we would experience what forgiveness is, that we would experience the fruit of the Lord's patience and gentleness, that we would know what it looks like to have self-control, and that we would experience what the Lord means by an abundant amount of joy. That's what God has for us in Christ. That's what he wants for us as his followers. And so as a church, that's why we exist to help people. Why are we here? Why do we gather both here on Sundays and during the week? Well, we're here to help. We want to be known as a church that helps people. Well, helps people do what? To, to fully engage Jesus, to experience the fruit of belonging to a church and what it looks like to live our lives on mission. So today I want to break this down 
and I hope it becomes clear to you. But as I do that, I'll start with this. When many people talk about Jesus historically, they describe him as a carpenter. They would say, well, Jesus took up the family business, and it's true that Joseph, the one that got the privilege of helping to raise Jesus, was a carpenter. But historically, we're not really sure just how much of the family business Jesus engaged in. Historically, what we are for sure, or what we we are for certain about, is that Jesus had the prestigious position of a rabbi. And that to become a rabbi, it was no easy task. At the very uh, early age of just five years old, like I have a five-year-old at home, so this blows my mind. At five years old, Jewish children would begin to memorize the first few books of the Old Testament known as the Torah. And they would engage in this school of Etzifer, and they would begin to this process of, of, of transformation. And then those that actually would graduate this level would, would move on to the next level of ed- education, Bet Mirash. And then they would, at the age of 12 to the age of 17, begin to memorize the rest of the Old Testament. Like we have some high school students in the room. Let's think about it. Like you graduate high school and you've memorized the entire Old Testament. Now, those that actually completed this, the very best of the best, were invited to apprentice under a rabbi. And there would be a, a rigorous examination uh, and interviews, and even those that were deemed worthy enough beyond that were then invent- invited to do life alongside a rabbi. The rabbi would say to them, come and follow me. That sound familiar? If you've read the Gospel of John before, you knew that when, you know when Jesus showed up, that was his invitation to come and follow me. And so if you accepted this invitation from the rabbi, your entire life would be centered around these three goals, to be with your rabbi, to become like your rabbi, and to do as your rabbi did. But the way that Jesus approached this was distinctly different. Jesus doesn't say you need to have this rigorous interview process. Jesus doesn't say here's the exam that you need to pass. It became so clear through Jesus's ministry that this invitation to come and follow Jesus was available to all people in all places and all points in history going forward. And so here's the Big question, what does it mean then as we walk with Jesus, as we're in his presence? How do we become like him and how do we begin to live our life as Jesus did ministry? And so for us, the first step in being engaged in Jesus is there has to be a decision. When Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica, he encouraged them for turning from idols, worshiping someone or something other than Jesus. But they didn't just turn, they began to serve Jesus. And so initially there's this decision to say, yes, I want to be with the rabbi. And then from there, there's this declaration that we read about in Acts 2.38, this process of of baptism. Acts 2.38 says that we need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And there's some linguistics at play here that can make this kind of confusing. Because it'd be really easy to read that and hear, well, if I want to be forgiven, 
then I need to be baptized. A, a common expression we, we say in, in our language is that if you have a headache, we'd say, hey, take this Tylenol for your headache. And we're not saying, hey, congratulations, if you really want a headache, here you go, take these Tylenol. No, we're saying you already have this, so because you already have this, here's the response. And the same thing is true about baptism, because we've already received forgiveness through the cross, we're now baptized. We declare the condition that we already have in Christ. And so next week, January 21st, we have a baptism class, and so if you've not been baptized, that's an easy next step for you to take to find out what it means to be baptized because there's different faith backgrounds and not everybody believes the same thing when it comes to baptism. But after we've made this decision, we've declared publicly that we're on team Jesus, we now devote our life to the rabbi. That the definition of a disciple is a lifelong learner. It's not just, hey, I prayed the prayer, I came down front, I filled out the connection card like, I'm good, right? No, discernment, it's this lifelong journey of saying, what would Jesus have me do with those 35,000 decisions that I get to make every single day? And so some people describe this process of becoming like the rabbi through spiritual disciplines. Other people call them like rhythms, spiritual rhythms. Another name are, are holy habits. And so Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with the godlessness and old wives. That's that turning from idols and, and things that lead us away from God. Rather, train yourself to be godly, to this process of becoming like Jesus. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So if you were here last week, you heard Wendell talk about the importance of prayer and scripture and evangelism. And the week before that, you heard Pastor Trey talk about the importance of rest. Something else that's important to us, scriptures don't command this, but fasting is something that we get to do to help us be with our rabbi and to become like our rabbi. And one of the things that I love is when scripture lines up with science. Lo and behold, this thing that, that God would say that we should do actually has benefits for us beyond just our relationship with Jesus. Do you know that something like a 48-hour fast can actually begin to regrow parts of your brain? Like medically, there's a whole bunch of benefits from fasting. It's almost like God knew what he was doing when he put it in the Bible. And so, I don't know what that could look like for you, a spiritual rhythm, discipline, or holy habit, but our hope is that there would be rhythms in your life to help you both be, become, and do as the rabbi once did. Now, one of the challenges that I see that's true in the local church is that more and more people would say yes to Jesus. More and more people would say, hey, I'm good with following Jesus. But when it comes to church, not so much. When it comes to local church, I've been burnt by the church. The church has hurt me. I'm frustrated with the church. And so I don't have any problem reading my Bible, praying, being with Jesus, but this whole business of belonging to a local church, like, that's a problem for me. Here's the challenge if this is your approach to church. This is the way that Jesus described the body of believers known as the church. 
He describes us as his bride. Jesus said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, this movement, this gathering of people. And as you begin to walk through the New Testament, you would see that Jesus' heart is that he would present all those that turn to Jesus um, without blemish, that were, that were clothed in righteousness. Do you guys remember your wedding day? When you said yes, and everyone got all dolled up, and it was probably the best you've ever looked, and the best you ever will look. I remember my wedding day very vividly in my mind. We got married in my wife's uh, grandmother's backyard, and I remember her um, in her gown, and I remember her coming down. She had this, my grandmother, her grandmother had this deck, this porch that she came out. So there were several stairs that she had to walk down. Uh, she was gracious, and she nailed it. I was like, please don't fall. But she came down looking all beautiful and just and her, her dad ushering her down and just the marriage ceremony. I mean, to think that out of all the illustrations that Jesus would use, this is the illustration that's so real to us. So I want you to think about this. Imagine with me two friends are having a conversation. And one of the friends says, hey, I, I really like spending time with you. I've benefited a lot from this relationship. You've been there for me. You've shown up time and time again. You've prayed for me. You've encouraged me. You've helped me grow as a person. I just have a lot of respect for you. Like, I, I love you. But I gotta tell you something. Your wife, your wife disgusts me. How do you think that conversation's gonna go? Right? There's a karate chop to the throat at that point. I say, what? And yet, that response that you just had right now is the response that Jesus has. We say, well, I'm good with you, but just not those people that we call the church. Now, someone would say, wait a minute, I'm good with capital C Church. Like, the global body of believers, I'm good. It's this local church stuff that I got problems with. Oh, that's fine. Let's, let's, let's go down that path. So Jesus, when he was doing ministry time and time again, what did he say? I need to leave so that somebody else may come. Well, who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. The advocate. And so what happens? The, Jesus ascends to the Father and the Holy Spirit shows up and everything goes bananas, right? Lots of people come to know Jesus. Well, what's the Holy Spirit do? When we turn to Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, Right? But what is the Holy Spirit leading those leaders to do? Plant churches, establish leaders, have structure. People that would say, this is my home church and I serve and I belong and I participate in. You see, the way that the Trinity works is you have Jesus, the Father and the Holy Spirit. Well, do you remember what Jesus, during his ministry, he was torn about going to the cross. If there's any other way, take this cup from me. But in the end, he said, hey, it's not about my will, but your will be done. And so now Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is under the leadership of Jesus. And so when the Holy Spirit is doing his thing and churches are blowing up, that's under the command of Jesus. And so to say no to the local church is to say no to King Jesus. Jesus is 100% big C church and all about little C church, and that his desire is that all of his followers would have a home church. And that's why... We believe that people should be fully engaged in Christ 
and at church. What do we mean by that? What does that look like? Well, Acts tells us that as the Holy Spirit began to do work within the local church, here's what it looked like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I've read this passage many times. I've taught this passage many times. And I'll be honest with you. I tend to overemphasize this part of the passage and underemphasize everything that came before it. You know that if you've ever studied the, the human body before, you would see how intricate it is and how when one part of the human body begins to fail, the rest of the body starts to lose weight as well. If you've studied the stars before, if you've studied the, the specific location of the sun, you would discover if the sun was a smidge to the left or to the right, like we would all cease to exist. And so if we would say that God is creator of all things, we would see that he created everything with incredible intentionality. And so it's no coincidence that as God is working under the influence here, the Holy Spirit's leading New Testament authors, that he left this specific order. That only after they devoted themselves to teaching and communion and prayer and generosity, corporate gatherings of worship and meals, then people on the outside looking in said, I don't know what's up with these crazy Christians, but I want to belong. Because their life looks a lot different than mine. This is a body of people that show up for one another in the name of Jesus, and I want to belong. This is a group of people that have answers to the questions that I don't know how to answer. So I want to belong that reflect on the death, life, burial, resurrection of Jesus through communion. And I wanna belong. This is a group that, that pray for one another, that beyond just the corporate gatherings, they're inside each other's home doing life together saying, this is King Jesus. Look what he's done for us. Let's honor him with our lives. And as they did that, that's when the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. So here at Eastern Hills, we want people to belong. We want people to experience care, connection, and equipping through groups and classes and teams. And so if, you're, if you haven't done that yet at Eastern Hills, we, we would love to help you. In fact, as you leave here today in the lobby, there's several groups for you to partake in and classes for you to consider. There's several teams that you could belong, not just here on site, but also off-site as well. So we'd love to help you take whatever your next step might be towards belonging. But our desire in the end is that you would become, that you would say, hey, this is my church, and I wanna become a member of this church body. In Paul's letter to the church of Corinth, he uses the illustration of the human body to say this is how we should work together, that there's different gifts, talents, and abilities that God brings from all faith backgrounds and walks of life to bring glory to his name, to help people follow Jesus. But our hope 
is that as people become members, that they would start to lead, that they would bestow the wisdom and love and truth that they've gleaned after several years of following Jesus and begin to come alongside other people and help them follow Jesus. Can you imagine this for a minute? One of the things that's true about us as humans is that we can be incredibly intentional when we want to be intentional. Like if you go to the doctor and the doctor says you need to adjust your diet, all of a sudden you're fully focused on your diet, right? What goes in your body matters. If, if you need to, to have a new physical routine, all of a sudden you're really focused on exercise and, and how you care for your body in that way. Financially, like we're really focused. We, if you have a budget, like you want to know what's going in and what you, what's going out. You want to plan for the future. We can be incredibly intentional when we show up to work with our careers and education. Like we have the capability of being fully focused on things. Could you imagine the difference if parents took that same tense of intentionality when it comes to following Jesus and helping their children follow Jesus? When we need to train for something and we're focused and we're dedicated to it, it's within our capability. So could you imagine a church that took seriously coming alongside parents, grandparents, guardians to help them follow Jesus with that type of intentionality? To raise up leaders that make a difference. Proverbs 11.4 says this way, without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. So here's an honest confession. Uh, August will be five years for me here in leadership at Eastern Hills. And one of the things that, that I think has not gone well is we haven't done a good job raising up leaders. And that in the years ahead, we need to do a better job of raising up leaders. So what does that look like? It means not just hiring people, though I'm grateful that we're the type of church that we can hire staff. It means coming alongside people, finding their gifts, talents, and abilities, and God's calling on their life, and unleashing them, sending them out to come alongside others. An example of this, Mike Wisman, some of you know Mike and Kathy, the Wismans, they're great. Um, Mike has a, has a heart to be, first of all, a follower of Jesus, but second of all, he has a passion for missions and local outreach. So he stepped into a volunteer role. It's not a paid role. He's just desiring to spend more and more of his life to help us steward the kingdom collaborations that come to us, that we would send people out into central New York, that we would send people out into the Northeast, that we would send people out globally beyond even the United States, which ties into the last part of our mission, fully engaged on mission. Three things. When we talk about being fully engaged on mission, number one is, is funding the mission. Paul talks about the importance of being a, a cheerful giver. Listen, when Paul says that, his heart is that when we give to the local church, it shouldn't feel like we're paying taxes. That when we give to the local church, we're excited like, I can't imagine what God's going to do with this gift. I can't imagine how many people he might reach. How many uh, nonprofits do you know that are a thousand years strong in the making? 
I mean, think about the invitation to give to the mission of, of the local church. In partnership with Jesus and the foundation of the gospel, for thousands of years, the church has helped rescue people from the depths of hell. You wanna see a church on fire, it's a church that's fully aware of the reality that there are two categories in the end, lost and found. And of all the things that we could invest in, why not the local church? Helping people make disciples of all nations. That it wouldn't feel like a have to, it would feel like a, a get to. One of the things that I'm really grateful for at our church is that we have an incredibly generous church. We had a goal in December of $325,000, or a goal of $340,000, and because of your generosity, we are able to continue to do ministry the way that we wanna do ministry, and we were able to raise $325,000 in the month of December. So I just wanna say thanks, and we celebrate that this morning. And because people gave generously in the month of November, we actually went into December a little ahead, so we're right where we need to be financially year to date. So many people have already chosen to do exactly this. Two more things. The next one, a little bit of true and false for you. I need your help to participate on this one. True or false? The church exists to make disciples. Raise your hand if you would say yes. That is hands down the purpose of the local church to make disciples. Raise your hand if you're alive this morning. Okay, I'm praying for a couple of people down here. There's no, no activity this morning. So whew, we got the safety team in the back, might have to be doing some compressions, bring it back to life. Um, if you raised your hand, it's probably because you're familiar with the Great Commission, which is the call to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Christ commanded. And that's true. It is true that the church exists to make disciples. But here's what's also true. The church exists to make and be disciples. Jesus said, whoever serves me must also follow me. If you think about the trajectory that we started with, right? to be with your rabbi, to become like your rabbi, and then to do as your rabbi did. Can I be honest with you? For me, personally, I do that in reverse order. A lot of my time and energy starts with the doing and hopes of becoming. And maybe, just maybe, I'll find time to be. And if we're real honest, most churches, leadership, spiritual formation, discipleship processes are mostly focused on the making. But it starts with being. There's a leadership axiom that I respect. It says we can't lead others somewhere we're not willing to go ourselves. We can point them there, but we can't lead them there. And so if we want to be a church that makes disciples, we have to be the type of church that prioritizes being disciples. The Apostle Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 10, 
31, he says, so whatever you do with those 35,000 decisions, whatever you eat or drink, whatever it is that you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. So it's, this applies to all people, all places. And then he says, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, my heart is that they would be saved. And then he follows this by saying, and here's how, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. And so to be engaged on mission is to invite people into our life and we say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Not just follow me as I make disciples, but follow me as I make it a priority to be with my rabbi. Follow me as I make it a priority to become like my rabbi. Follow me as I make it a priority, last but certainly not least, to do as the rabbi did. And the more and more people that say yes to that invitation will make an impact, locally or globally. Jesus said to let our light shine before others in a world of darkness, glorifying our Father in heaven. So what does that look like to make an impact? On Christmas Eve, if you were here, there wasn't much of an empty room, an empty seat in the room. Uh, on Christmas Eve, do you know we served 1,243 people? A year ago, Christmas Eve, we served 762 people. That's a 37% increase from one Christmas Eve to the other. It's pretty amazing. I love when this room's full because for me, it's a small glimpse of what it's gonna be like in heaven someday. But all cards on the table, the church does not exist to try to get as many people in the room as possible. The church exists to focus on eternity and helping people not just know Jesus, but follow Jesus with their lives. So what does that look like? Well, historically, if we go back to the time of the second century, the plague of the second century killed off a quarter of the Roman Empire. Think about that. Like, it just imagine just central New York, 25% of central New York just dead. One out of every four people in your neighborhood gone. In the midst of that, Christians showed up to care for people. And they cared for the sick alongside the gospel. As people were mad at God, you've caused this sickness. This brokenness is your fault. They brought the gospel. No, no, no. God loves you. I'm here because of him. I'm going to serve you. When everybody else is fleeing, I'm going to stay to be present. Jesus is your savior. God's heart is not for you to experience his brokenness. And as a result, Christianity spread like wildfire. And when it came to the church in Galatia, the emperor during that time, Emperor Julian, was like, these crazy Christians even care for those that are not followers of Jesus. And the result was that sociologists and religious demographers, they said death rates in cities with Christian uh, communities were about half that of other cities because of the care and the gospel that was presented. When we accept the invitation 
an impact is made. And then at the same time, I say all of this, and sometimes my wife, she's like the most, you know, she can be the, the harshest critic when it comes to messages. Like, you've got your emails, like, the way home, I can talk to, to my wife, and she'll say things. And one of the things that she'll point out to me is, there is so much. Like, there's nine things that we talked about this morning. And sometimes, that can be overwhelming. And so you might be showing up this morning like, I've lost a loved one, and I'm grieving. My marriage is failing. My finances are falling apart. I'm here, I don't know a soul, and I feel alone. I'm not sure if I want to live another day. I feel without purpose. I feel lost. I'm confused. I have addictions that I'm afraid to tell people about. And I'm hurting. I'm here, smiling on the outside, but I'm in tears on the inside. And so you hear a message like this and you're thinking, I don't even know where to, where to start or where to begin. Two things. Number one, for you, one point of clarity is, hey, I can't do all things, but I'm gonna do for some what I wish I could do for everyone. Like what if I just invited one person into my life that I'm gonna begin to mentor or help follow Jesus? But a board member recently said to me, Rob, you know what, sometimes it's okay for you to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on other people. And so for some people, you might need to hear this today. It's okay to do for yourself first before you do for others. It's okay to say, I need to get right with, the, with Jesus first. I need to get right emotionally, spiritually, physically, because if I'm not caring for myself, I can't care for others well, and that's okay. That's that process of fully being, being fully engaged in Jesus. So here's what we mean by this. Engaged in Christ at church on mission, that we would make a decision to follow Jesus. We would declare publicly through baptism. We would spend our lives discerning what Jesus would have us do, that we would belong to a body of believers, that we would agree to hold leadership accountable as they hold us accountable, that we would raise up leaders and help people follow Jesus, that we would invest in the mission, that we would live our lives as an example to others, and that as a result of that, our community would begin to look differently. Last question. And I'll end with this. I don't want you to answer this today, but I'm gonna ask it again over the next couple weeks. 10 years from now, would you want to attend the church that we're becoming? As you think about Eastern Hills over the next few weeks and you hear about vision and you hear about values, my hope is that people would say yes. I'm excited about the type of church that Eastern Hills is becoming.